Hello, this is Timmy Black, and welcome again to another episode of The Lives of Contemporary Artists. Now, there are those among us, and you know who they are, who are the perpetual strivers. You know them. You, you recognize them as soon as you see them. They're, they're the ones who live and die by their smartphones. They're, they're the tweeters, they're the, the, the posters, the, the networkers, the ones who never look you in the eye when you're chatting at an opening, always taking in the room like a secret service agent with a facial tick. The strivers, they're on, they're always on, and that's why you can't trust them. Even while you envy them. Yes, you envy them because they have no shame, no, no humility, no, no, no authenticity. You envy them because they can fake sincerity so well, always auditioning, always ready with the well-rehearsed elevator pitch. Yeah, you envy them, but you can't respect them because somehow you have that, that self-defeating prideful problem where you can't Kiss ass, because ass-kissing is beneath your dignity. Well, they're the ones with the careers. The, the strivers. Yeah, the, the strivers. Have you ever thought about what the opposite might be to the word strive? I think it's arrive. That's right. To arrive, or, or more precisely, to achieve. You, you, you never actually see achievers being obsequious. No. You ever notice that? Only strivers crawl up people's behinds. When you have real talent, the world comes to you. Isn't that right? Okay, that, that's enough for the science fiction portion of the podcast. But, but speaking of obsequiousness, ever since last podcast, uh, when we talked about... Um, who did we talk about? Oh, yes. Dahlia Dalton and the Instagram phenomenon, Fabi. I've been thinking a lot about language. I've been thinking a lot about the word specifically obnoxious and, and how, like obsequious, it has a fair number of syllables. Obnoxious is, is one of those words that, that seems at first with the X and the I-O-U-S, a bit of a challenge maybe to articulate, I guess, for a child, but really, when it comes down to it, it fairly rolls off the tongue. But now, by contrast, take the word uxorious. Very similar in spelling, just one additional syllable. And yet, if you were to use the word in a casual conversation, you would no doubt be met with a few blank stares of incomprehension. As if it's one of those $20 words, which really, when, when you come right down to it, it's just as easy to say as obnoxious. And they're both really useful in, in a sentence, like, oh, that guy is so obnoxious. Or, oh, that poor schmuck is so uxorious. In fact, language is so weird that people might think you're being obnoxious just because you use the word uxorious. Go figure. Anyway. In case, like me, you failed freshman English in college, and if you haven't already run to your Google Word Search Instant Pictionary app, let me explain to you what it means when someone is excessively in love with their wife. The figurative artist 
Tadeusz Tennyson learned about love and the tragedy of unrequited affection after he married his favorite model, Colette Duquesnois. Colette, you see, despite her French name, is from Austria, and therefore saw any increment beyond perfect stillness as a hot, crazy, impulsive flash of recklessness. She was as beautiful as she was cold. And Tadeusz became like a dog you might find at the pound. He, he was so deprived of the passion that he considered a part of his destiny that the tiniest pat on the tummy sent him into rapture. He never understood how someone who so readily took off their clothes could be so uncomfortable with intimacy. Tennyson was probably the most uxorious husband you could ever imagine. But all he got for his trouble was the silent treatment and an occasional air kiss. Anyway, the marriage nearly drove him mad. But when Colette left him, he did this crazy thing. You see, he loved his wife so much that he collected every post-it note she had ever written to him during their 10-year marriage. And when he moved out, he took that bizarre archive with him. And there were a lot of these notes because it was Colette's preferred method of communication. She was very practical. And she used to say, why bother speaking when you can leave a note? Why waste time? Of course, those were the days before texting. But uh, I can imagine Tadeusz's ex these days with her phone all thumbs and an icy grin on her undoubtedly still beautiful face. But in those days, it was the post-its. Anyway, this uxorious figurative painter not only lost his wife, but lost his career, his, his collector base, when, when the critics started calling his brightly colored, singularly unironic images of lushly draped figures and twisted contraposto indulging in what could only be described as fetishistic behavior as hopelessly old-fashioned. So if ever there were a time for an artistic rebranding or what the Italians might have called 500 years ago a rinascimento, it was now. Tennyson, whose real name actually is Novotny, started applying for grants, making wild conceptual proposals for projects he had no idea how he would fulfill. He just would make shit up, really. Nothing was out of bounds, and the more he wrote proposals, the more inventive or <laughs> ridiculous he became. He, he simply didn't care anymore. Then, one day, when he was feeling lonely and a little bit too sorry for himself, he, he fished out of an old box all these post-it notes that Colette had written to him during that dark decade of uxorious servitude. Now he's going over all these post-it notes and then, like Archimedes leaping out of his bath, he realized that in his self-pitying misery, he had stumbled upon a potentially million-dollar idea. <laughs> By now, I'm sure you've guessed who I've been talking about. That's right. The post-it guy. Yep. Pericles Sylvester, now you remember, right? That wacky New York artist he used to see everywhere posting notes on anything that would accept that light adhesive rim. Yeah, 
Tadeusz became something of a relentless striver and made a new career for himself as something of a street artist and rechristened himself as Pericles Sylvester. Yeah, <laughs> way before there was a Banksy, there was a Sylvester posting notes in the middle of the night on lampposts, on, on storefronts, on, on office buildings, on subway walls and tenement halls. They were literally everywhere. Now you remember. Now, at first, at first, the, the early Sylvester days, he, he simply recycled Colette's pithy directives, the post-it notes with the things like uh, eggs, low-fat milk written on them, or, 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 or please deposit my paycheck, it's, it's on the dining room table, or, or, or is your mother really coming this weekend, question mark, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point, or garbage Tuesday, or, or I will forgive you, or I'm sorry, or the drain, or I'm really sorry, XXOOXX, or I met someone, I'm leaving you, you keep the cat. In fact, Sylvester's first show were the original Colette notes tacked on the wall in, in, in a rough chronological sequence that if you read them carefully, they describe very poetically the steady decline of a relationship in slow, excruciating motion. The critics compared it, I remember, to Crap's last tape. <laughs> he later went on to do more public posting, the work that you're already familiar with. And when he passed away two years ago, right after appearing on the Charlie Rose show, there, there was some speculation about drug abuse, liver disease, suicide, all that romantic artsy stuff. But actually, he suffered a freak accident with a staple gun and died of tetanus. Apparently, he used to, I don't know, restore his work with staples when, when the glue dried up and he accidentally, I don't know, stapled him. I whatever, it's sad. It's very sad. <sighs> Anyway, that's enough big words for now, but please join me again next time when we'll go deeper and darker into the lives of contemporary artists.